0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Giggum 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls. Here to talk a little baseball and a little football on this edition of the podcast, AM and Baseball's. Season came to an end on Monday night in disappointing fashion with a loss to Stanford. We're certainly going to dive into all of all of that. Look ahead to the future, and you know, on the football side, there was some schedule news last week. I know everybody loves talking schedule, and there's a lot to get to there. The SEC announced that they would be going with an eight game schedule in 2024 for the conference for conference play, and then reevaluate things where they Stand in 2025 and beyond with Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. We're certainly going to look into that as well and and talk that. Uh, but got to start on the baseball side, Carter. You've had a couple late nights. How, how have you been?
1: Oh, still waking up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, those West Coast games. I, I mean, I don't know how people do it. I, I love watching Pac-12 after dark after a long day for college football. But man, so those late night baseball games uh can can be can be brutal to cover, but it was fun, man. I love I love postseason sports, I love postseason college baseball. It was really a, a fun regional to, to cover, but uh yeah, pretty disappointing for AM.
0: No doubt A M. Wins the first two games of the regional over Cal State Fullerton and Stanford look to be in a pretty good spot. Stanford and Cal State Fullerton were playing in a elimination game earlier on Sunday. Uh, Stanford ends up rallying to win that game and then beats A&M 13 to five. And at that point you're sitting there thinking, okay, Ams still got one more game to to go should have the advantage. Stanford will be playing for the third time in two days uh, maybe some some advantages to take there take advantage of there in terms of pitching but not not to be AM what loses um monday night seven to one as their season comes to an end stanford will advance on to the super regional to take on texas and you know i think there's a couple storylines at least for me in this in this regional one of the big questions coming to the regional was was could AM kind of had they turned the corner after the sec tournament from a pitching standpoint and you know, the starters struggled. That's just the truth of the matter in the, in, in the regional again, uh, you know, guys that weren't able to make it out of the second inning and you manage differently in the postseason. I think that's important to note as well is you don't have time to mess around and let a guy maybe figure it out in the third or fourth inning. So it is, it is managed differently in the postseason, but nonetheless, guys still struggling to get through a couple innings um, and it didn't, it, they were able to at least withstand that the first two nights and, and get the bats going. But the bats went really quiet against Stanford and that ended up costing them score six, just six runs over two nights against Stanford and Nathan Detmer actually pitched pretty well last night from, you know, and gave gave a what they were really looking for. He was able to work deeper into the game than maybe some were expecting, but, you know, Carter, they just it just didn't feel like they were able to get the timely hits when they needed to, and and that Stanford lineup can do damage in a hurry. And 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 we saw that over the last two nights.
1: Going in this regional, really AM, at least like this regional final, I mean, it, it really seemed like they were going to be able to score a lot of runs when you just figure that. Okay, Stanford's got some talent for sure in that pitching staff. I mean, we saw some of those guys that they were throwing. They were not, they were not scrubs, but by, by the time they got to that regional final, they've played a few games. They're deep in the regional. They've got their lowest ERA or, or highest ERA, however you want to say it, 599 uh, going into this regional that they've had in the season since 2009. Pitching definitely the weak point for this team. Their defense isn't all that great either. Uh, and so you figure – so you're playing a kind of middling pitching staff. You're playing a worn-out pitching staff, and their best pitcher, the Pac-12 Pitcher of the Year, Quinn Matthews, had thrown 114 pitches on Friday. So you're, you're thinking, man, I'll, this is looking good. Even if they manage to win this first game, well, by the second game, they're going to be throwing you know, absolute scrubs out there uh, but that's not how it turned out for AM. Uh Really uh, a kind of, st- you know, staggering uh, look for them at the plate sometimes with, you know, just some bad at-bats and just a lot of pop-ups. Uh, just seemed like they could not get anything going with runners on base or runners in scoring position. It was a really uh, tough weekend for Uh, Trevor Werner it was a really tough weekend for uh, uh, a few other guys as well Uh, but you know you you look I kind of crunched the numbers and last 17 innings they obviously did amazing that first inning against Stanford on Sunday but the last 17 they were 4 of 32 with runners on base and 0 of 11 with runners in scoring position so any opportunity they had to to generate some runs they just they couldn't do it they got two runs in those 17 innings and another weird thing in that last game Jace Lavalle was really the only guy who was you know figuring it out from the plate and all four of his at bats came at the very beginning of the inning so he never got an opportunity mm-hmm. to hit with someone on base or or someone in scoring position you know, it's it's just kind of bad luck luck sometimes with these things. But a um, And just didn't put itself in a in a good position. I felt like they weren't aggressive on the base paths. Um, I felt like they were pop up city sometimes. So um, and, and even just trying to work some counts, work some high counts, and get these guys up up in their pitch count. You know, you felt like Matt Scott won a couple innings and. Quinn Matthews was able to go like four innings, and you know you look at it, Quinn Matthews like, how is he going four innings? You, you know, you you if you're A and M, you would have hoped that you got him out in one or two innings, and then they only had to throw Ryan Bruno one inning, and I felt like he didn't have that great of command, and he was throwing some balls, not not really uh, in command of the the strike zone, and and A and M just kind of let him get away with it by by swinging at some of these bad uh, bad balls, so. Um, yeah, it's just, just a mess from the plate. Um, a lot of inconsistency there all season. And you look at a lot of their guys and their lineup and a lot of regression this year. You know, Austin Bows, Brett Minnick, Ryan Targotch. There's been a lot of, oh, he hit 330 this year and he's hitting 240 this year. So it was a really kind of a, a, a surprising result considering where this team – went into the season feeling, coming off the College World Series, being preseason ranked number five. And, yes, they had a really nice run here to end the season. They won six of the last eight SEC series. They went all the way to the SEC tournament. And they went into this regional final in two games. But considering where the expectations were preseason and considering the guys that they brought back, it's a disappointment to me because – Man, it should have been much better than this. We should have been talking about another College World Series appearance or at least a super regional appearance. And now they don't have either.
0: No doubt. And you know, it it is a disappointment because there was a lot of talent on this roster, but you mentioned that they were just never able to really get things firing this year when, you know, they would they got the pitching going at times. it was the bats that struggled, and then vice versa. And that that kind of this weekend kind of felt like like a, you know, microcosm of the season where guys, you know, they just weren't clicking at all, all cylinders at, at all times at enough, you know, obviously that sec tournament run was, was really, really good, but they just weren't clicking enough. And, you know, I think one of the things to your point, when you, when you look at these at least these two regional final games against Stanford, they, you talk about the pressure that they like to put on, on teams in the base pass, they they had a chance to really put some pressure on Stanford if they could get out in front and get an early lead in either of these these two games, because then you kind of start to force the hand of Stanford. You can do some things on the bases. It's exactly what Jim Schlossnegel talked about when they were in Hoover, that you can start to put pressure on the base pads, you can start to s- some steal some bases, but when you're behind, you can't you don't really have that margin for error and those outs. And so, you know, everything just kind of tightens up. And I think that's that's part of what happened in the Stanford regional when they, in these last two games against Stanford, you know, I think the big question now is where are things going to go from here? There's going to be, obviously, I think a lot of change in the off season. There's, there's guys that, you know, have the, have the opportunity to now head off to the MLB draft guys. who maybe have some decisions to make and, you know, it's hard to really project what a lineup's going to look like, you know, you've got some guys that you can certainly build off of. Jace Laviolette is is right at the top of the list. Obviously, Shane Sadeo out of the bullpen, and what he was able to do is a really encouraging piece moving forward. Justin Lampkin, Troy Wongsing. Some of these guys, you have you have some nice pieces, obviously. Um, you know, at, at Caden Kent, you've got him as a young player. Max Coffer, you've got him. What... When you when you when are Jim Schlossnagel and this staff right now, for me the biggest the biggest priority this offseason is they have to go out and land some reinforcements on the pitching side. They have to go find guys that can step into the starting rotation and and be a you know a a dominating Friday night starter and and set the weekend up that way because a And M's just had too much for me. They've just had too much inconsistency the last two years when it comes to when it comes to the pitching staff. And I think that's gotta be the that's gotta be the priority this offseason.
1: Yeah, I felt like so many games this year they're behind four nothing, third inning, six two, fourth inning. You know, that they're starting pitching was terrible. Like I, I'm I <laughs> a lot of people were like, oh well this guy it was terrible all year. Really. I mean it was they were lucky to even make the NCAA tournament without bad their starting pitching was, and they were lucky to make the Stanford regional final. That's what all, all I'm trying to say is like this run they had at the end of the season actually was was pretty impressive when you consider how many 11-9 wins and, and bad starting pitching performances they got. I mean, Nathan Detmer last night, lasting six innings, I don't think he had done that since like March 17th against LSU. And this is their Friday starter. This was their number one guy. And Troy Wansing had been kind of a a mess all year with the strike zone and kind of flipping back and forth on, on, okay, now he's Sunday, now he's a reliever, now he's Saturday again. Justin Lampkin, same thing. Chris Cortez was the Sunday starter to start the season, and they barely even used him uh, in this regional. So I think really the biggest glaring issue with this pitching staff is the right-handed pitchers they just didn't have any options uh, out of the bullpen really. And so, you know, a lot of your guys that you're bringing out there were, were lefties. And I, I felt like you had some guys you could really trust uh, and build around with Johnston and Sadeo and, and, and Ashenbeck. But from a right-handed perspective, there wasn't really anybody that you could trust. Um, so that's, that's where I think they got a hammer in the portal. Um <clears throat> You're also losing a few, at least a few pretty impactful guys. Uh, offensively, you got Brick Minnick. He's expiring his eligibility. Jordan Thompson's expiring his eligibility. And Austin Boast, uh, you know, 12th man uh, uh, expiring his eligibility. So those, that's at least three guys you're replacing. And then you got a lot of guys who could go pro, right? You, you're talking about Hunter Haas, Jack Moss, Trevor Werner, Nathan Detmer, there, there is a group in there that could leave, and they might be in a position where they're having to replace their whole infield. So I think this, this team next season, and they've already added a few transfer commitments, but you're going to look at almost a completely different team next year. And that's why these next few weeks are going to be critical for Jim Schlossnagel as far as okay, you had a hiccup this year, and I think it's fine. Like, it wasn't that – like, it was bad for sure, but it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, where is this program going? Like, I still think you have a lot of confidence in what he's able to do. His track record speaks for himself, and really I have no concern about where this where this program can be and, and, and the fact that this is somebody that can – consistently take them to a college world series on the other hand i say wow they're losing a lot of guys next year potentially they're they're losing a lot of key contributors and they're going to have to completely flip the roster most likely and so that's why these next few weeks could really determine the outlook of next season and you know we're, we're talking about almost a completely different team and you know, could be a bit of a rebuild. I don't know, but uh, if they do a really good job in, in over, you know, this offseason, then then uh, who knows, maybe, maybe they can get past that, that regional this next year.
0: No doubt. A lot of questions. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Ryan Prager, obviously as a guy that, yeah. you know, it was a, it was a blow to lose him. Um, and, and, and a guy, you're going to hopefully be able to get back next year, work him into the fold and potentially he's somebody that can factor into the The rotation potentially or or at least in the bullpen and and be be a really impactful guy and so another lefty like you said so they've got to start developing whether it's internally or via the transfer portal have got to develop some of those those right-handed pitchers because you're right they they just really didn't have anybody reliable to turn to whether it was out of the bullpen or or um in the starting rotation or just enough of it so they've really got to address that part of it. And, and you're right. There's going to be some decisions, but there were some decisions last year and some of these guys chose to come back for another year. Trevor Warner was one good example of a guy that chose to come back for another year. And, and we'll see what Hunter Haas and Jack Moss uh, opt to do as well, but uh, certainly going to be another uh, eventful offseason with a lot of moving and a lot of moving pieces. And um, we will certainly keep you guys up to date on, on everything, uh, related to Texas A&M baseball on the site. So be sure to stay tuned to Gig'Em 24-7 for the latest there. We're going to switch gears and talk a little football after the break. As I mentioned, the SEC schedule uh, will get announced next week. They did reveal at the end of the SEC spring meetings that they were opting to go to an eight-game schedule. Carter has a lot to say about that. So we're going to get his take right after a quick break. Welcome back into the Giggum 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls. We're going to talk a little football. Uh, The SEC making news, obviously, last week at the end of their meetings. It kind of felt like it was kind of a yo-yo going back and forth over the course of the week. You know, things kind of entered with maybe a nine-game schedule on the table. Then, you know, some questions about whether they were going to stay at eight, whether they would even make a decision. And then it comes – to the point of of the eight-game schedule in 2024 for conference play when Texas and Oklahoma joined the conference. Carter, what do you make of all this and and then opting to go with an eight-game schedule at least for one year?
1: Well, just speaks to where this conference is at as far as there's a lot of people at the table that have differing opinions and there's a lot of politics involved. Uh, And it's not surprising. That's how these things go. That's why anybody when anybody reports like, "Oh yeah, A&M, 9 game schedule, Miss State LSU Texas finalized, done deal." I'm like, "No, it's not." <laughs> like,
0: there's it's just not done until it's signed. There it was
1: so much of that. I mean, like literally everybody was like, "Oh yeah, it's done deal, 100% Miss State get ready." And I'm like, "No, it's not done." Like, do you understand <laughs> that there's 14 of these teams about to be 16 and they all whine and complain and argue constantly? You know, Alabama coach Nick Saban has been saying, oh, nine games, nine games, nine games. And then all of a sudden he's like, ooh, but Tennessee and Auburn uh, and LSU, like, ah, that, that seems pretty hard. I don't like that. And it's like, uh, you're not going to satisfy all these people. There are going to be people that get screwed. There are going to be people that don't get their way. And that's just life. And so what's funny to me is – it seems like they're kind of delaying the inevitable. They kind of have this one year where they can have a mole again and say, "All right, we're going to spend more time on this because you know this coming year you can preserve all your rivalries with the eight with the eight uh, eight game schedule for 2024. You can preserve all the rivalries, but you can't do that again in 2025 because you just be doing the same schedule. So you have this one year mole again. Like it's not the end of the world, but what I want to know is what's going to change between now and and decision time that's going to change your thinking? Like no, nothing about – like they, they say it could be within this next year. Well, there's not going to be a 12-team playoff in the 2023, so it's not like you're going to receive any, any more information. There's not going to be any more data out there that can make you come to this decision. So I feel like we're just going to reboot the arguments – once again, it's going to be the same political game. Uh, but ultimately, what I'd say is, you know, the eight game schedule, nine game schedule, there's a lot of talk about preserving rivalries and, hey, we want the lesser teams to make a bowl game. And, oh, well, we want it. We want it this way to help us get in the playoff. Um for me, I, I love the rivalries. I, I love, you know, I would love to see AM play Texas every year. Um, but I feel like the name of the game, like there's, there's two things I don't really care about. It's one, oh, let's keep it eight games. So Vanderbilt can make a bowl game. I don't care about that. I think that's a weak argument. It's like the difference between five and six games, like, sorry, man. Like that's, that's not, that's not a, that's not a driving force behind this. Number two, the whole, oh, we might get 10 more million dollars a year or whatever from ESPN if we do nine games. Who cares? Like, you've already got all the – like, if you're A&M, you've already got all the facilities. You already got all the NIL money. What's an extra $10 million going to do for you? Like, you already got all the money you could ever spend with this new deal and what you already have. So, that to me, that doesn't matter. Preserving rivalries is a great argument for sure. But yeah. I think A&M fans, and maybe this is a hot take, but I feel like you'd care a lot more about making the playoff than you would playing Texas every year. If you had to choose between the two, would you rather compete for championships or preserve this, this rivalry you've got? And, and that's the question is, will an eight team or a nine team help you make the playoff more? That, that's the biggest question to me. That's what everyone should be talking about. I don't – you know, as much as I care about the rivalries, to me that's secondary that doesn't matter as much about will this help me make the playoff. And for me, you'd like to think that nine games will help you make the playoff more if you're one of the elite teams in the conference because you'd say, well, we'd have to shrink the schedule. We could have like an RPI system that we've got in basketball and baseball where, you know, even if we go nine and three, I mean, we play Georgia and LSU and Bama and OU and Texas, so, of course, we deserve to be in. But I just – I keep – you know, the cynic in me keeps saying, is that really going to get you in? Because you'd basically be saying uh, under a nine-game schedule, you only do that if they let six teams in from the SEC every year like five or six, because otherwise it's going to be three or four and any nine and three team is not going to be in. And so for me, I'm like, if you go to nine games, you better freaking get five or six teams in or or four or five, because otherwise it's a waste of time. You're just risking – you're increasing your chance of losing another game as compared to just scheduling New Mexico so I know I know it sounds like a scaredy cat, cowardly thing, but to me it's it it that that's how you have to look at this. Is it, does it help me get in the playoff or not? And we don't know yet how the committee will look at this. And I'm just saying we can't just we can't just assume that that extra game is going to mean everything to them when you have all these other conferences and you know A at nine and three may not be as compelling to them as Baylor eleven and one or Clemson at 10-2. and two. So I, I know I'm rambling. I, ha- I have a lot of thoughts on this, but to me, I'm like, if we're ranking the order of importance, the playoff is number one, the rivalries is number two, and then way down here is, like, the bowl game stuff and the money because that doesn't affect me as a fan or as a reporter or as a whatever. Like, that does not affect anybody that that is watching this stuff. But these two things, the rivalry and the playoff, matter more. And if I had to rank, hey, play Texas every year or make the playoff, the, the playoff matters more to me if, if you're a fan. Uh, but anyway, I'm rambling, but I'm, I'm going to throw it back at you, see what you think. But the eight or nine thing, I'm telling you, it's, it's so many people are split on this. I don't fault people for thinking opposite of me because there, there's so many directions this thing could go.
0: Yeah. There's so many, there's such a debate about it. And I I agree with you when you consider the fact that, you know, five of those spots are going to go to conference champions. Now, suddenly you're just down to basically six, seven spots then that you're trying to basically arguing or the SEC should get four of those, those spots. And that's going to be a lot to ask. If you go to a nine game schedule, you're right. If how, you're going to have the committee basically weighing a nine and three sec team against an 11 and one potentially 10, and two team for another conference. And that's, you're not always going to, you're not always going to win that battle. And so you are taking a risk. I do wonder if this extra year, cause, cause you're right. I, and when you listen to them talk, you know, ESPN, are they going to, how much are they going to pay for that extra game? How much can they pay for that extra game? You know, there's, there's the reality going on right now that that there's quite a few layoffs going on around ESPN right now and and what are they going to pay for that extra game is it going to be worth potentially adding a game and and uh you know what's that going to do for for your college football playoff chances so I think that is a real concern I think the rivals rivalries like you said it's I don't think everyone's going to get their perfect system. And I think that everybody's got to kind of understand that. And I think, you know, you've, you've got A&M in one quarter. I think when you listen to Ross Bjork talk and you listen to Jimbo Fisher talk, I think one of the reasons they've talked about nine games is for the reason like you mentioned that they would get to play LSU every year. That's a game that has developed into a, a pretty good rivalry. There's been some pretty good games there. When you talk about the seven overtime game, you talk about um, uh, you know, just some of the battles that they've had on the recruiting trail and 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 everything going on there. I think that's turned into a a pretty good game at the end of the year. And and I think it's it's worked well for AM and it's worked well for LSU. And uh, you know, then you start getting to the argument, you know, well, is it LSU or is it A and or is it or is it Texas who's the per- permanent rival who was who does Texas want? Well, Texas and OU have their have yeah. their game every year. And what are they going to give up? And so, you know, you start getting into that. And I think that was kind of AM's reasoning is one, play nine games. Two, you play nine games and you have three permanent rivals. That allows you to get everybody that you you kind of need to get in. And that gets you, that gets you LSU, that gets you Texas. And I think AM is completely fine with whoever. That third game is whether it's Mississippi State, whether it was Arkansas, whoever it is. I think there's an understanding that at least you're going to be able to play everybody two years, uh, every two years. And, you know, considering the fact that Georgia's never been to Kyle Field, I mean, that's just a still, just a crazy uh, thing to think about um, since ain't joined the SEC. I mean, it's just crazy to think about. And, you know, I do wonder if one of the conversations over the next year is going to be potentially there's been so much focus on a seven, one model and a six, three model. If they do want to stick at eight games, I do wonder if they're going to go back to the drawing board over this next year and kind of put minds together and say, is there something we can do with maybe a six, two model? Can we potentially meet everybody in the middle and give you two potential, two permanent rivals? and you know rotate the other six or some sort of model like that if you do want to stick at eight games I'm intrigued to see if that kind of starts to surface a little more if that's kind of the the middle point that a lot of athletic directors get to to appease appease some of the folks who may who may want to stick at eight games I'm with you I I I don't think the bowl game conversation should be as big a focus I know you know for Vanderbilt sorry like you're gonna lose that that yep. argument, this is more about you know protecting rivalries, this is more about positioning for the college football playoffs. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt and, can go to
1: the Sun Belt if they want to, if they, they want to, exactly.
0: A and you know what? When you talk to when you hear Clark Lee talk, he he was kind of talking about it last week at 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 you know SEC spring meetings. He said, you know, he's kind of getting annoyed with with everybody who's kind of congratulating them on having. You know this 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 step forward year, and they didn't even make a bowl last year. He he kind of mm-hmm. said, you know, I I get where people are coming from, but that's that's annoying as well at the same front. So you know, I think they're trying to take the step forward as well, and and good for yeah. them for doing that. But that that the the bowl game conversation to me, if you're if you're sitting at six and six, you're probably not a great team anyway. So yeah. uh, you know, you're you're just very average, and that's that's this conversation is about. How do you position yourself as well as you possibly can to make the college football playoff? Money is going to be involved in everything. That's just a reality. And what ESPN can pay for the for the ninth game is going to be involved as well. That's just a that's just a factor of this that they have to navigate. I don't think they're going to learn a whole lot more in the next year about whether an eight or nine game schedule is more beneficial. I just don't. I'm with you. They're they're not they're not going to have the data points to be able to do that. And so, you know, the question is, do you kick it another You can't really kick it another year down the road. You can potentially have a plan to say, okay, we'll do eight games for these two years and then move to a nine game schedule down the road. But I guess you could do that, but I'm with you. I just don't think you're going to have enough data. So the, the college football playoff conversation is going to be one you might have to make without, you know, any verified data. And, and you're yeah. going to have to project a little bit. And that's just the way that goes. And, um, I agree. They do need to come to some sort of agreement though. And it, and it, it does feel like it kind of needs to happen in, um, uh, in the next 12 months.
1: And what I'll say, like, I, I love how forthright, like Buzz Williams is about the whole tournament selection process, because, you know, he said multiple times, like he's so frustrated by it. He's like, I just want to know what the criteria is. I want to know. I, I wish there was some meeting in June where some random dude in a, in a jacket starts talking about, hey, th- this is what we look at. There is not anything like that for football. And so when people speak with so much confidence, oh, nine games, 100% will help you make the playoff more. You don't know that. I don't know that. We don't know if eight games helps more. We don't know. And so I've been a little um, surprised hearing Ross Bjork talk about it, because he, he has constantly been like, oh, yeah, yeah, it'll help, it'll help. And I'm like, but how do you know this? And I just think back to 2020, and I, I almost tell AM fans, do you remember three years ago? Do you remember how one little loss to Alabama – it wasn't a little loss, it was a big loss – but, but one loss. loss to Alabama, do we remember the conversation was – well, they had their opportunity, and they suck. They, they lost. They, they lost that game. They suck. They don't deserve it. And it was like, dude, but they beat every other SEC team by double digits, and they played at Bama, and it was actually a tie game in the second quarter, but Kellen Mond threw a pick six, and it kind of snowballed. So it wasn't –
0: kind of went out from there.
1: You watch the game, like they competed better with them than a lot of other teams did, and, and then you're like, okay, well, Notre Dame just got destroyed by Clemson. Like three, like one day before the selection show. But it, all the talk was, well, they suck. They, they lost that one game. And oh, that one night they played LSU when it was monsooning, they only beat them by 20. Uh, and oh, they only beat this team by 26. And it was like, what in the world? So if I, I just imagine a world where here we are in 2026 and AM's nine and three, and their three losses are to Georgia, LSU, and Bama. And they've got a couple decent wins, but nothing crazy. And the conversation becomes, "Oh, uh, well, they had their chance. They could have beaten three of the top five teams in the country, but they didn't. So they suck." And Baylor is eleven and one. They actually won their game, so they deserve to make it. That that I totally see that happening. I just I know it's going to happen. That's just my thought on the issue because I just we've seen this happen before where you, you don't win against that big opponent and it's just used against you. Uh, and because a team hasn't played that big opponent, like a Baylor or a Clemson, they're kind of given this benefit of the doubt of, like, well, they won they won their games that mattered and you didn't uh, instead of more of the strength of schedule and eye test kind of considered. So I just – I caution people. I know nine games sounds great. You preserve the rivalries. It strengthens your schedule. But do we really think that one extra game is gonna tell these committee members, oh, well this nine three team deserves to be in. And you know what? We're gonna have five SEC teams in the playoff. I just don't see see it shaping out that way. Again, I'm 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 more than uh willing to, to be proven wrong on that and and, and can can see a way where it, it does get considered more than I'm thinking it will, but as it stands, what we've seen in the past, they don't give a lot of grace for those kind of losses, and uh yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm just saying, don't assume like we don't know yet. Then, so don't the
0: other the other question too, there's there's so many questions and like, like dynamics to this because when you consider, okay, if you stay at eight games. You're still probably going to get a ninth really good game because you're going to have a power five opponent in the non conference portion of your schedule. You know whether that's Miami, Notre Dame, Louisville, whoever that is. Uh, you know that's going to be that's going to be another opportunity to kind of add another resume point. And so if you go to a nine game schedule, okay, well do you still continue to play a power five opponent in the non conference? Because then you're playing ten power five games and then you're you know so you're adding you're adding potentially another power five game there for the fans i think they would love it i think i think fans would enjoy it because you know you get to see there's yeah. there's a ton of really good matchups i can see from a fan standpoint you would love going I'm to 10 games problem. it would yeah. be it'd be a ton of fun it would be yeah. a it would be a really 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 difficult schedule and so uh you know i think and i think the other point to to kind of keep in mind, and, and and I think this is another thing that that hasn't been mentioned quite as much when it comes to AM. It's gonna be a problem for Texas and Oklahoma uh when they entered the SEC. If we if you do stay at eight games, is home games and playing a neutral site game. If you have an AM, obviously Ross Bjork has made it perfectly clear at this point that. You know, from A and M's perspective, they do not intend to continue the Arkansas game at AT and T Stadium once the uh, agreement is up. Uh, that's to me. That's that that becomes a bigger deal now because you're going to be able to get that game back on campus. Um, and and if you're aim if you're Texas and Oklahoma, that you know you did you heard Chris Del Conte mention it during the during his his time in Destin that. That's going to really end up hurting Texas and Oklahoma if you stick at eight games, and and you know they're they're basically going to be losing. There's there could be some years where they're playing three conference home games, or they you know they'll they they there could be that with um, with playing the neutral site game against Oklahoma. So uh, I think that could end up working out in A and M's favor with the with the game against Arkansas. Um, Going back to you know uh, back to each respective teams. uh, stadium so uh, a lot to unpack and and you know this is this is a conversation we went we went 20 plus minutes going back and forth on this ads are going to be going back and forth on this for hours over the next um couple of months trying to figure it all out there's gonna be like you said there's gonna be a lot of opinions in the room and I think your point was was exactly right anybody who comes out and definitively says I know this is happening and this is who AM's permanent opponents are gonna be you don't, because things can always change. We saw how quickly things kind of shifted and went back and forth over the last couple of weeks between the nine and eight schedule. Who was the permanent opponents? How the things going to work out? And um, so, yeah, just, you know, it, it's it, it, it's going to be fun to watch, but just have a little patience that they're going to get it worked out. But, you know, read everything with a little bit of skepticism and, and, and question, does this really make sense or is this really logical as for when it's coming out right now. So uh, until then, we're both you and I are heading over to the, uh, the camps over at college station it should be taking place Wednesday through Friday. Uh, we'll have you covered with, with all the coverage over on gig 24 seven and be sure to stay locked in there. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the uh, 60% flash sale that is going on right now um, for a huge month of June as a and welcomes a ton of official visitors to campus. A great deal to take, Um, to take advantage of there Um, and otherwise we'll we'll be back next week to to discuss plenty more about you know the visitors a&m's had on campus how things are looking on the recruiting front and talk more about the team side as well so have a good week everybody and we'll see you guys soon